podcast at Ground Zero is presented to you by the Apocalypse. Because without the Apocalypse we wouldn't be doing this show. Greetings, friends of the apocalypse. This is podcast at Ground Zero, your home for the apocalypse for episode eighty-six. More apocalypse of Tom Wilson is that what I was going to call it? I think I, I forgot already. So much more apocalypse with Tom Wilson. Just <laughs> Tom, the most. Tom Wilson. So that sounds great. Uh, so what we have on today is, of course, we have the apocalypse nerd, and we have Adam Bomb Glancy, and uh, returning to the podcast is uh, Tom Wilson from I always get it wrong. Throwy Throwy Games. Perfect. Three games. Perfect. All right. Uh, we had Tom on. Uh, oh, God. It's like I, I have no sense of time anymore because I've lost a whole year of my life. Yes. Um, we, so I don't know. But I think we had. <laughs> the virus apocalypse stole a year from us. We stole a year from us. <laughs> uh, but I think we had Tom on in uh, probably 2019. So it's like two years ago when the, uh, the first uh, Gamazine uh, came out for Zine Quest. You know, Gamazine was the. Uh, first edition uh, fanzine for a Game World first edition. So, um, as we've when we've talked to Tom before, you know, Tom does so much more than just Gamma World. He does a lot of stuff for BX, which is Basic Experts um, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, he does for other editions too, I believe, just depending on whoever wants to write stuff. But that's a lot. That's a big part of his focus, and Gamma World uh, is part of his focus too. Now, I know, I know, people are going to be guys. You're talking about Gamma World again. Yes. Yes, we yes, are. Yes, we are. <laughs> we're like we're I, man enough to admit that we we have a problem. We have a problem. We have we have <laughs> we have issues. Um we, we talk about, you know, um all things apocalyptic, but we tend to gravitate towards the things we love. Uh I promise that within the next couple of episodes we will get away from Gamma World. Uh because I don't promise that. I know. Well, <laughs> Um, well, makes- because, because I want to get, um, I got to reach out to Bill, Bill Barsh, yes. uh, because he's coming out with Gamma X, which is a Gamma World retro clone. And I read your interview in Gamma Zine 3 with Bill on that. Um, so I want to get him on to talk about that. So yet again, more, <laughs> more Gamma World, you know, and, and people did uh, say about, you know, hey, Gamma World's great, but talk about some more modern games. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. There are a lot of modern post-apocalyptic games that we could talk about but part of my issue is finding the time to sit down and read read the gosh darn rules so um yeah i have uh, yeah well, well, well don't worry uh, i've already digested mutant crawl classics rules um we will be getting into mutant crawl classics eventually i want but to talk about that and... again you'll notice they're all just homages to gamma world so why don't we just talk mm-hmm. about gamma world the whole time exactly so all right, so uh, so we're going to talk about that. Um, I, I don't want to break my um, habit of not talking about stuff and leaving it for the um, the off-topic show, but I'll only ta- I'll only talk about them in one sentence each. Uh, the Thunder of the Barbarian, um, 
Blu-ray is now out. Uh, it's remastered. And because um, I got the original DVDs uh, when they uh, uh, WB Games uh, issued them on demand, which was great. But they came out with a remastered Blu-ray version, which it's not like, oh, my God, it's 4K Hollywood, but it does look better. So that was an improvement. And uh, pre-orders for the Fallout RPG are on uh, Modifius's website. So a couple of quick things, and then we're going to move uh, on. So um, so Tom. Tom was, uh, like I said, we talked to Tom a couple of years ago when Gamazine 1 came out. Um, since then, he's put two more Gamazines out. Uh, Tom also has three currently Gamma World first edition specific adventures. Uh, he has a fourth one that is post-apocalyptic, not Gamma World, but you could adapt it pretty easily. Um, we have reviewed two of those mod uh, adventures on the show, which was Into the Wreckage and A Dish That Serves No One. Uh, there was one that came out after that called The Last Vestige of Hope. So we'll get time to talk about that a little bit because we haven't read through it in detail. And we'll talk a little bit about... Um, uh, the Gamazines, uh, you know, Hell, I, have... I only just bought it before the show when I found out it was, out. <laughs> oh my God, I've missed something, you know, <laughs> that, 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 that button on drive through RPG has been pushed. It's that button, that, that button RPG is broken, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Here's the thing. I, I, I want to uh, bring it up before I forget is because I mentioned uh, Bill Barsh is doing Gamma X and I read the interview in that and like Scott had mentioned, that a lot of these games are homages to Gamma World, like M MCC, um, even, Mutant, even Mutant Year Zero, which was originally came out in 1985, which was a Gamma World. So a lot of this stuff is all no, just... Darwin's World, right? Darwin's World, which was a D21, that uh, D20, uh, which came out, that came out in the 2000s. Uh, and I think eventually they did upgrade their stuff to 3.5. So, um, so everything's kind of held up to you know is you know this the, it's held up against gam world as it's you know um not it's standard but you know what i'm talking sometimes yeah. i sometimes words escape me so uh but you mentioned uh but we mentioned bill he's coming out with gamma x which is a which is a which is a gamma world retro clone so and how he mentioned he's going to be using the bx rules for it which is interesting because he's going to that's now going to constitute having levels Classes, you know, classes and levels, which I find I always find that interesting for the Gamma World game because first edition didn't have it, second edition, didn't, third edition didn't have it, but we did start classes in fourth edition Gamma World. So fourth edition Gamma World had classes, not levels though. Uh, wait, did it have levels? Uh, I don't think so. I think it just had classes. It had like a, a scout, and it had just a couple of rudimentary classes. And as a side note, the fourth edition Gamma World uh, system is was kind of a proto D twenty system. Like if you look at those, if you look at those rules, it was definitely a proto uh, D twenty system. You know, well, it's all D twenty, not really, but but the but the actual D twenty rule set, it was kind of a prototype for that. Agreed. So I just find, so I find it interesting that he's going that route of having classes and levels because I don't, I think Gamma world doesn't lend to it as it, as the traditional system doesn't lend to it very well, because why would I want to start off with a first level mutant with very little hit points? That's going to get wiped out when it runs into the death machine immediately. Mm -hmm. Well, 
even other first, they're going to, it would happen, but. Gamma World was never balanced. I guess that's the one thing that we always, that I guess was almost, that almost appealed to a lot of us was the idea that, welcome to Gamma World, it's not balanced, encounters are not balanced. Uh, You will run into things that will completely outclass you. You may learn the hard way which things you should have attacked and which ones you shouldn't have. Um, and that was always that was always sort of fascinating to me that it kept the world dangerous. Gamma World was always sort of funny and dangerous, or at least you know uh, satirical and sort of a comment. You, you know, there was a lot of uh, satire in the apocalypse and comment on you know commentary on but it was mostly dangerous. Gamma World was one of the games that killed the shit out of you more than almost any other game I can think of starting out. You know? oh, yeah. I think, and I also think that Jim Ward, you know, really took a lot of those comments from Gygax, who was playing in his games, to heart when he said, you know, I want it to be deadly, I want it to be tough. Because what did Gygax do in his adventures? It was basically like, if you go left, it's a kobold. If you go right, it's a red dragon. Oh, well, you made a bad choice, right? And yeah. I think Gamma World l- lends itself to that, especially when you talk about you know, when you talk about poison and um, radiation, it's just it's just the great equalizer. Everybody w- gets wiped out. So it's you make bad choices and you die. In newer games, not so much. And I think that's the first edition of Gamma World really appeals because of that reason. It is just bad choices le- lend to death. So. Yeah. And uh, it, it looks oh. like you have a lot of hit points at the beginning, but boy, they go away fast. Oh, in Gamma oh yeah. All, I mean, all yes, all very good point, but but I think the and I, I don't know how he's, uh, Bill's going to do the system, but starting off at low hit points is really, really tough. I mean, it's, let, it's, let it, me it's, assure you that it's, that a, it's is a tough. Over. We'll be talking about that with mutant crawl classics. They're absolutely doing levels and classes, mm-hmm. and mutant is a class, and oh yeah, the world eats you like like popcorn shrimp. But again, they have a different answer for that problem. Um, we'll the get funnel. into that episode, but yeah, it's yeah. Well, let's not forget also that when we say BX, we're talking about pace setters BX, not Moldvay BX. Oh, right? we're talking valid. about pace setters BX. So pace setter came out with their box set, which is BX, which is a which is a clone and a re a re you know a redo of original BX, Moldvay Marsh, and then now they're going to put they're going to put Gamma X on top of that platform. So it's going to mirror that platform. So they did make some changes from traditional BX with their BX system. Um, but, and I, you'll see that probably in the Gamma X piece, but yeah, I think it's going to be, it's going to be low hit points. It's going to be, um, you know, Faco. It's going to be all that stuff. I think. Interesting. But uh, we'll definitely, but see, that gave me some things to talk to, you know, I said, I got to reach out to bill, you know? So, um, well, I'm going to see him next month at North Texas and I'm going to hope, I'm, I'm trying to convince him to give me um, some really early insight into some of the stuff that he's got written that he's run because he's running a Gamma X game there as a pro as a prototype just to make you know a play test basically. So I'm hoping that I can sit with him since I just did a huge book for him, um, 105,000 word book for him. Um, I'm hoping that he's gonna let me look at his his notes for Gamma X. <laughs> nice. Oh, because I because I remember him originally saying I guess that he pushed out the date a little bit. He was going to launch it on a Kickstarter like in May's, but I guess that's not going to happen. No, it's just not ready. I, I tried to get a I tried to actually get a preview copy to to review actually in Gamazine three, and he's like, no, it's nowhere near ready. So we'll have to wait. Okay, maybe okay. Gamazine four might be in that one. Excellent. Cool. 
but but I'll still reach out to him just to kind of put the the yeah, bug, in, bug in his ear about that, you know, because I did because I I backed their recent project for um um that they're doing right now with the with the with the with the counter creation yep, yep. book it's, yeah it's an excellent book yeah yeah because I heard uh, they had uh, his son on um on uh Tankar's Tavern and they were talking to him about the about that and I was like oh that sounds interesting so not that I play anything anymore but. <laughs> like I liked, I like to have these things and read them. It's like I got that kind of disease, you know. So. Yeah, that <laughs> reference material stuff is good, but uh, but good stuff. So, all right, cool, cool, very good. All right, so uh, like we said, you've had two zines come out since um, since the first one. So it seems mm-hmm. to be so. So I guess the format and the content and the you know just the whole concept of it is doing okay for you that you're continuing to put uh, zines out. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've had a couple of different zine runs. I've had the Back to Basics and then the Gamazine one. And I, even though I've sold like a thousand copies of Back to Basics issue one, I've gotten more chatter from people about Gamazine. I have more rabid people that just constantly email me and go, when's the next one? You know, so it's I, it's funny, it, you know, I had less backers in my projects, but more chatter about when, wanting the next one. So which is really cool. And, you know, there's a, there's definitely a community out there that's, that needs more of this work. And for me, Gamazine is, or Gamma World is right there, neck and neck with BX as far as my favorite system. So I'm always going to write for Gamma World until until Wizards comes and, and shuts me down. I'm going to keep doing it. So Good. Well, because here's the thing, and I think there's more chatter because there is very little Gamma World stuff out there. So you're right. like one of the only dudes doing anything with it, whereas there is so much BX stuff out there. Right, right. Yeah, and Gamazine, you know, if you look at Gamazine 3, like, I think I increased the page count by some stupid number. I mean, it's up, it's like, I don't know, I think I, I, th- I doubled the, I think, uh, the second copy. So I got three adventures in it. It's tons of material. Um, I get a yeah, lot of right. people who want, I get a lot of people who want to submit stuff. Some of the stuff that they submit is not, not printable, unfortunately. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, I always encourage people if they've got some good material. Um, I'll look at it at least. And actually, I had, I had a, a gentleman reach out to me recently that wants me to publish his um, Gamma World like material. Uh, it's a it's a mutation book, which is really cool for all different mutations, um, plants, animals, and and humanoids. It just didn't just didn't fit into my 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 workload for the next 16, 18 months. So I pushed him towards actually took pushed him towards Bill Barsh and said. Your work is really good, but maybe Bill wants to do it for Gamma X. So we'll see. So I get a lot of submissions, um, including somebody on this show. Uh, I know. Yes, <laughs> yes I, uh, I'm, so, I'm a fan. I'm your biggest fan. So, yes. I have, uh, I have, I have a couple of things in the latest issue of uh, Gamma Z. It's not a lot, but it's just a Got some couple, weapons. Few, couple of few weapons. You know, you know one was the, even though... Even though there's already two Vibro weapons out there, bladed weapons out there, it's just like, but nobody's done a sword. So I did, I, you know, I just broke down the stats and did a sword. So there's a, there's a, you know, goes thunder. You want to be Thundar? You know, just a, you know, just a Vibro blade. It's kind of short. It's not going to do the job. You need a Vibro sword. You need something long and heavy duty. You know, yeah. and of course I scaled it. You know, um, you know, it does more, a little bit proportionally more damage too, but it also doesn't last as long because it drains more of a battery. So, you know, did a little work on that. 
it, just actually, would, it just wouldn't be right to swing a weapon as short as the standard vibro blade while yelling devil dogs or demon yeah. dogs. It just doesn't seem right. You, you well, you, you with a reach. Yeah, your submission was good because I was actually building out the the weapon chapter that was going to be a bunch of um, homemade weapons that you just make from different parts of pieces of things. So that might be that might make its way into Gamazine Four instead, oh, but it's uh, basically like, just like how much damage from a stop sign that's made out of uh, you know yeah, Duraloy, been... a Duraloy stop sign you smash somebody with. Exactly, that's where I was going with that chapter. But then, of course, I get a great submission. I'm like, no, I'll use this instead. Oh, nice. Well, one of the nice things about I don't know, not nice things. One of the standard, very player character things about Game World is is the plethora of weapons that have come out over the years and i've always you know and i'm always happy to reach into other editions to pull out some of the weapons to use even in earlier edition games but uh, i love that the built-in at least as a fan of the original social wars idea i love the idea that the, there's all these different types of weapons because every there's this constant political warfare that is constant leading to new and sneakier and more insidious or more terror-based weapons. So you do have this option for having absolutely ghastly high-tech weapons that do just obscene kind of, the kind of weapons you'd only see in 40K, you know, and it, it, but, but they have a place in Gamma World because you lived in a, you know, your, your ancients have a disintegrating mm-hmm. militia-based, almost, Lebanon in the '80s style civilization, uh, going down the drain one block at a time as they, yeah. as they ruin each other, killing each other off with stuff they've cooked up in each other's basements, like some yeah. sort of Judge Dread um, block war gone mad, you know. Yeah. And what's funny is that it's speaking on you know touching on weapons one more time. It's actually been the most the most negative feedback I've got was about weapons because a couple of my adventures, I throw a couple of, you know, modern day, um, you know, firearms in just for something different, right? Like a sawed off shotgun or a revolver. And, and I get a little chatter that says, Hey, they, these wouldn't exist at this point. You know, it's so many years later. And I'm like, but why not? Why not throw it in there for it's something a, it's different? A, it's a, it's something a legion, fun. It's a, it's a legion of gold. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah, made... hell, it's in the original uh, artifacts uh, tables in the first book, which right. always struck. And I, am, I admit that as a gamer, I was like, why are there shotgun shells? You know, my answer is, is that clearly somebody after the apocalypse figured out that, you know, black powder go boom. You know, we got, right. got a couple hundred years after the apocalypse there. Why couldn't somebody have gone back and said, well, we're not going to be building any lasers anytime soon, but I hear that if you take a tube, like a big bamboo tube, and you wrap it in rope, and then you stick a bunch of diamonds and sulfur in it, you can blow up the gorn. Or I guess the sleeve. I was going to say, okay, (laughs) shoot the sleeve with it. Well, you also you also have that in between area between like you're beating it with rocks and sticks, and you're you're doing like eight d six with a laser rifle. Now you got something in the middle that sort of like levels the playing field a little bit. So exactly, and like I said, like I said, they had they had uh, you know gunpowder firearm rules in in uh, GW one in the Legion of Gold. You know, and they they had rules as like, hey, you know, you're going to have a certain percentage that aren't going to be good, and you know, so they they kind of covered that already, and. um, Oh, and speaking of improvised weapons, what made me, when you talk about the signs and stuff, what made me think of is I had played again back in high school. We had played through the Mind Masters, 
mm-hmm. uh, which was uh, I'm going to say that was GW four, right? Because uh, the Cleansing Wars of Gritty Gritty Blackhand was three, and I think Mind Masters was GW four. So, um, uh, if you're not familiar with the Mind Masters, basically it was a um, asylum. Retru- it, was, it was like an asylum retreat, you know, to help people. Mm-hmm. So. Um, in in there, they had like sports, like indoor sports, and they had something with a. It was like a, like a grab ball game, where you put the you put it like in this suit, and it had like it was kind of like like you know gamble. It was like high tech high lie. You know? Oh no, high tech rollerball. It was like zero. No no no. It was no. It was still like it was still in a contained area, like like racquetball or, or uh, high lie. Not like but it, but it had a thing where you know one end catched the ball and it like went through the back and it and it and it shot out again the other side. So we had come across this in the exercise area. And it's like, well, I was like, well, how can we use this to uh, do damage? Because, you know, these balls aren't going to do any damage. So what I came up with and the DM allowed it was, you know, we went, we found uh, dumbbells. So we found dumbbells, you know, and, you know, it's got weight on the end. So we were able to crack off the ends of the dumbbells. (laughs) <laughs> because the, da- the damage was based on the weight of the projectile. So we were able to break it off. There was a smaller piece that could go into the tube and shoot out. And we were able to do damage with that. <laughs> I've, I've, that's, I've that's put funny. a lot of things, Jared, I've put a lot of things in my, uh, what's the uh, blower weapon from Fallout? Yeah. I the, can't ju- the, ju- the junk. Uh... Yeah, the junk weapon that's the uh, yeah. floor. The a junk launcher, that- yeah. Dumbbells? I hadn't thought of dumbbells. I have to admit, that's that's awful. <laughs> well, yeah, if you, if you get like... They probably you, do damage. Well, you get these like hand weights, you know, you get these ones that are like, you know, 25 pounds, you you, you lob one side of it off, it's probably, you know, it's not exactly going to be half, but it could wind up being 10 pounds. You get that going at a high velocity, that's going to do some damn damage, you know? Ouch. Yep. So, all right, so... um. So the gamazine, just because I want you know, don't want people to be aware of it. So, so um, you know, we I know we talked about it a lot. You know, the first edition. You know, any anything special, anything uh, standoutish about two and three, and then also, uh, what are your plans for doing any more? Yeah. So my my goal, like it was with the back to basics fanzine run, was to always try to, as long as they were successful, I would try to continue to either match the size or make them bigger. Well you know, usually I make them a little bit bigger each time. So you'll see that two got, was bigger than one and three is much bigger than two. Um, I added an extra adventure. Um, I thickened up the short story that I've been writing. Uh, second, the second one started a new short story in addition and it got a lot of uh, mixed reviews. So I stopped it, um, cause it wasn't really post-apocalyptic. It was more futuristic, um, you know, uh, sort of utopian, um, earth, but, um, so I, I, I basically killed that off and just, uh, lengthened the short story and, and Gamazine three. Um, but mostly it's, it's about adventures, honestly. Like I like having the chapters for a new monster and a new chapter for weapons, etc. I moved away from the artifact charts in two to three to have search tables. I wanted to mix it up a little bit. So there's some search tables. I love search tables. They're one of my favorite things. Um, you'll see those in the back of a couple of my adventure books actually, where there's, um, search tables in the back. Um, I'll probably, you know, do something like that again, uh, with search tables, uh, and, you know, multiple adventures, because again, the best thing to have is a new adventure for your players. So I'll continue to do that. 
I thought about mixing it up. I thought about getting away from the monster chapter and just embedding new monsters in the adventures when they pop up. Mm-hmm. But I, my editor is mad at me for saying that. He says, no, don't do that. So I may keep the monster chapter. Um, and, you know, like just continue to, to, to do the things that are, that are bringing me some success, which is, you know, this layout and format. Whether there's going to be new classes, uh, I don't know, because I make those, obviously those are optional. But I like an optional section, so maybe an optional, um, you know, maybe I've got a couple ideas for the next one. I've been chatting about um, optional saving throws and optional um, um, mutation use rules that are sort of loose and ambiguous in first edition and trying to tighten up some things there, give people some options and some ideas. So there's, there might be some new new sections. I don't know if I'll replace anything, but at least maybe a new section on some stuff. But again, you know, this thing's like 30, what, 36 pages or something. Um, can't even read it on my glasses on. But yeah, it's like 30 something pages. I'll probably do the same size again. And probably Gamazine will probably be November or December. I uh, usually do, do it during the first week of Zine Quest. But um, I think I'm going to pull it off earlier just to get it out there before people get inundated with everybody's, you know, latest idea. So. Uh-huh. Oh, cool, but no, no, actually, no. Your game world zines over fifty pages, so. Oh, are they? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I can't. Uh, number... I can't even read it. I just generate work and just throw it in a bo- in a book. And it's done. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good, but yeah, and the, and the idea of the classes is interesting because, like I said, uh, they started doing classes in fourth edition, you know. But but I I still don't know how I feel about it, you know. It's like because because I, I like the free form of being able to do whatever, you know. Right. But you know, but then again, you know. <sighs> Do you need to have some kind of structure to people, you know, because, you know, a lot of, you know, I come from the, you know, the D&D traditions, like here's your class or here's your skill sets, you know, especially now in more modern editions, there's a lot of skills in this and that. So it's like, but it's like, well, does that define your character or does your role playing define your character? It's like, do do you, do I need a class, Mm -hmm. especially for like Gamma World, you know, because, you know, uh, you know, because it's a classless system, but it's like, but does will will classes add anything? That that's always a good debate. You know, it's like, you know, I'm not I'm not sure where I stand on that. You know, right now. But I mean, I like the idea that you know, if you pitch a good idea to your GM and he he or she agrees, I think it's worth trying out. And I've given a couple optional, you know, optional classes. I've got the wasteland blacksmith, and I've got the this, this sort of this art artifact, you know fixer creator kind of class and they're neat and then the latest one i have um the the, the, basically the uh, wasteland ghoul which is obviously a a fallout reference um and basically just you know you have this you're basically just more uh, more resistant to radiation nothing spectacular nothing else that's you know that makes you play a certain way but gives you some additional abilities where you know you get into some rough territory because i always found that that intensity 18 radiation was just a Everyone just walks away. They're like, no, we're not doing it. We're all going to die. Yeah. So we, yeah. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> so having a class of a wasteland ghoul that's, you know, even the low level radiation actually heals them and high radiation they're resistant to makes it opens up some interesting capabilities of being able to do, you know, dive into that spot where you normally would just walk away. So it just adds a little wrinkle optional, of course, because, you know, it's Gamma World. So, but it's interesting. Yeah. Cause yeah, you get those hot spots, which could be, could be, laden with treasure but you can't get to it right but now you might be able to get to it so that could be you know that could be a whole adventure of you know teaming up with a wasteland ghoul 
and getting to that spot that you couldn't get to because it's too dangerous. Right. Actually, that's one of the adventures in the book of Gamazine 3 is that it's, you go into a a plant that was um, a chemical plant that's been just, you know, spilled out. And there's wasteland ghouls in there trying to take some of the chemicals back to their to their village and they're immune to it. But when you go in there, you're taking a little bit of a beating. It's not high intensity, but it's enough to make you pause. And, uh, you know, and it's kind of a fun thing where you run into the race, sort of a race slash species, also a class. So it's, it makes it interesting. Just a little wrinkle. I'll tell you, I was very happy with the scenario in, uh, I guess it's uh, two, the, uh, the the Millionaire's Vault or the... Uh, oh, yeah. I, I, I really like the idea of uh, not every underground, you know, n- not everything is the, the... It was just a different kind of, uh, you know, shelter crawl or whatever we're going to call it when you go digging around in the ancient uh, stuff. Um, because it wasn't, it wasn't the standard full of survival stuff. It was a, you know, it's, it's all their toys. It's all the things that they've, they've put aside, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. and I just thought, uh, it was, it was, it was cool because it wasn't the standard thing. Uh, it wasn't a military uh, place or it wasn't a civil defense, but you know, and it wasn't even strictly for, you know, uh, human survival. It was for stuff, right. which with the right, uh, with the right, uh, money, of course, there would be vaults like that as people, right. you know, hide their, uh, their, their things. I am trying for the life of me to remember where I have seen something like that. But I, I suppose what I'm imagining or when I'm, my brain is ricocheting off of is the, uh, the arc of the art from, uh, the arc of the arts from, uh, uh, Geez, that uh, British uh, apocalypse film where uh, nobody's given birth. Um, it's not the Fisher King, but oh, was... um, um, we'll edit this later so we don't sound so stupid. Uh, but, no, uh, no I do, Children I, of Men. Children. Yep. Dude, yep. dude, I I did a Children lot of men. editing. I did a lot of editing on the last episode, and you don't want to. We'll sound stupid. That's what. Yeah, that's that's why I don't. That's why I say, you know what? I don't do editing because. To edit that hour show probably took me three hours okay. or more, and I'm like, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. I'm just gonna well, cut the cut the beginning, the front and the end to get make it clean. Done. <laughs> okay. Well, we got the children of men, but I, that that's part of what I am remembering. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking of something from uh, the Ravagers with, um, you know, from the seventies. I, I I can't remember, but the the idea of a of a uh, uh, a rich person's bunker that's actually full of their their art and their toys and their favorite car and stuff. That's that was just really cool. I really like. Yeah, that. that 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 idea came to me when I was looking at you know like obviously there's all these doomsday preppers and such, and I was thinking you know some people are stocking up on whiskey and bullets, and some people might be putting away their family heirlooms and their prize you know the prize possessions like their you know their their convertible Corvette and they want to bury it in a vault somewhere. I mean, the people are odd and strange and want to preserve whatever they want to preserve. And that's where that came from. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, I particularly like that because it was, uh, it was off the standard. It was off the standard deviation of what I expected. Bandit Kings palace. You know, I expect a, I expect some bandit Kings. I expect some terrible, uh, chemical plants filled with poisons. But yeah, that was, uh, that was an interesting treasure, uh, treasure trove. Yeah, um, it was very it was cool. a fun, fun one to write for sure. Um, 
the first, you know, I've read uh, the first two scenarios you put out, uh, things that you ran at North Texas, uh, mm -hmm. both, as far as I'm concerned, really super cool uh, dungeon crawls that uh, involve uh, just as, uh, really good uses of the uh, original uh, background of Gamma World, um, the, particularly the one with the, 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 you know, you're exploring the apocalypse base that was, or outpost or whatever it is. But uh, what are the new, the, the, the two, you got one that's out that I just bought and haven't read yet, and you got one that's coming up. Can you tell us a little bit about what you got planned for those? Yeah, sure. Um, last Vestige of Hope, which came out last year, was inspired by the series Snowpiercer. Mm -hmm. So basically, this is a, a, if, if you look at the front cover of that, there's a, it basically looks like there's a, a train on rails. And basically, there's a supply train that's just it's still running to this day on this track, um, and everyone theorizes that it's full of full of supplies. Well, obviously, you know it's not going to be full of supplies because most of those supplies have spoiled. Although there are some interesting bits in there that you can get. Um, it's a it's a short train. It was used to shuttle supplies up to a larger facility at the top of a mountain which has now pretty much been, um, you know, pretty much cleaned out. Although there's some, there's some interesting thing, things in there, but it's a really a three part adventure. It's getting to the place where you can get to the train, which is held by, um, cannibal band bandits. Then there is, um, the train itself. And then if you can figure out how to get off the train that doesn't stop moving, <laughs> so it means jumping or doing something crazy to get off. Um, you can find the facility, which is, you know, it's not big, but it's, it was once a huge storehouse of supply goods for the military that has been since cleaned out, but there are some things to glean from it. So it's a really a three part. Um, I ran it in North Texas. I was surprised that my play, the playtest group um, got mired in diplomacy with the cannibals, which I thought was hysterical. Uh, and then we got to the train. They were like, were, were they bargaining which players that they would give up for the stew pot? I mean, what, no, they just, if they, we give they, you Bob to eat, he's pretty meaty. You could, I mean, you also, you also know that, you know, if you get a D and D player to play gamma world, it's a whole different animal, right? So these guys came in guns, a blasting through the front door and the bandits were just picking them off. And they finally tried to back into some diplomacy to try to get out of it. And then there was some, obviously some treachery and some, you know, false promises, and they were able to like eradicate the bandits at, at last. And then, nobody, then they were nobody they lies were like their characters. No. Player characters lie like. Oh yeah, they're worse than than the foes in the adventure generally. <laughs> um, and then they had to they had to find the parts to get the train running again, or the the gondola that takes you up to the train. So I think you can see that in the picture of the cover. There's yeah. a gondola that takes you up to a platform where you can actually jump on the train as it flies by, which is a a real fun time for really low dex characters. Um, and then you like, you work your way through this running train. Um, and if you're not careful, you actually blow the train off the tracks. Cause you're, you know, if you, if you fill some artifact checks, you actually ruin the train, which is even more fun. Um, and if you can survive that, obviously you get to the facility. So it's like a good, good chunky three parts, you know, section oh, I'm, a lot of different stuff in it. So I'm digging it already. Cause I love the idea of like, wow, why hasn't it been looted? Because it's never stops going more than a hundred kilometers an hour or whatever. Right. It's ripping around the tracks and you got to figure out how to get on. Now there's ways to, you know, slow it down. There's ways to make the leap or what have you, but it's, it's not, it's not easy. So it's, it's a, it's a fun time. So that's the one that came out last year. Um, which was play tested in uh, eighteen. 
2018. And then in 2019, I play tested an uh, adventure called Batteries Low Getting Dark, which is basically a, well, we know that where that comes from, but it's, it's not like that uh, in the adventure, just a nice title to use. Um, and it's basically a, a uh, energy cell facility that's been abandoned because hmm. it doesn't have its, it doesn't have its atomic batteries to run the mainframe. So, but if you're willing to risk it and delve in deep underneath, um, and, and brave the radiation, you can find the batteries to plug, plug into the mainframe and get the whole facility running, including robotics that are actually making energy cells from these huge solar panels on the roof. So it is one of those things where it's like, oh shit, we suddenly have all of this wealth. We have all of these energy cells that we can fill. But what does that mean? That means everybody's going to come to you and try to take it away. So you, you're going to do, you have it, but how can you hold, how long can you hold it? Yeah, did, did you remember to bring an army? Because the guys who uh, were coming, they did remember to bring an army. Right. So, so once you find it and get it started, then people find out obviously that you're, you're able to create energy or solar cells and energy cells and they're, they're going to want to take it from you. So it's a very interesting, like, Hey, this is a great place to set up base camp now because we've got endless, endless supplies. We don't, cause obviously you run out of material eventually, but you can basically recharge your cells constantly, but it's going to get taken from you. So it's one of those things that's like nice to have it for a while, but then you have to give it up eventually. <laughs> sort of like reminds me of like the, uh, the prison in walking dead where it's like, yeah, it's a great place for now, but then it's going to eventually be overrun. You got to get out of there. So it's a cool thing. It's got some interesting foes in the basement. A lot of robots, of course, because it's my favorite thing, you know, sentry bots and such. Um, and it's got a cool reward. If you can pull it off, it's got some really cool rewards for you, but, how long do you want to stay is the question. So that'll be out. That'll be out this summer. Like I said, I've got the guy who did scavenge the sands cover, Brian Thomas, also known as Brian glad Thomas. He is all, he signed up to do the cover for this one. Mm -hmm. And I've got five or six people that I've used before for other books that are already signed up to do interior work. So we got people are anxious to do the work artwork and I've already written it. It just needs to be put in digital form. And then, uh, get the maps and art done and get it edited. Obviously it's going to be probably between 28, 32 pages, my normal size book, black and white digest, of course, to follow the same format. Um, and like I said, it'll be out this summer, probably late you summer, but summer. you, you mentioned scavengers of the sands, uh, not gamble world, but post-apocalyptic, correct? That is correct. That so is tell correct. us, make tell our listeners about that. Scavengers of the sands was built with a system that I started writing back probably gosh now 10 years ago called srs which is a simple role-playing system um d6 system and uh, i wanted to have a kind of a sci-fi slash post-apocalyptic variant to the fantasy rules so i built that and i play tested it and people liked it it was a good it was a simple system to use like it was designed but um i didn't get really the draw that i really was hoping for with it so i sort of abandoned the system in favor of a new system that i've been writing for the last three years Part of it is there's a there's a strip mall oh, um, that you just, basically it's a crawl. We uh, we uh, you froze for a second, so okay. uh, we didn't get it. So just back up. You were saying uh, just back up a couple sentences. Okay. You abandoned this. You worked on it for three. The new system you've been working on for about three years. Okay. Yeah. And um, so the SRS system didn't really take off as well as I hoped. Um, but I still wanted to write something that was you know um, post apocalyptic. So we did that, and it was takes place um 
according really in a wasteland where there's you you come across uh, a strip mall so there's like all these different stores and stuff that you can go into and there's of course scavengers and giant scorpions and such and then you come across a building that's poking out of the sand really ends up being the top floor of a high rise so you delve in and there's like office environments and also really cool search tables to like glean little parts and stuff and then it the best part of it actually is not so much the the encounter base but if you get to the basement you find i wrote it like an 18 or 20 page log that goes with it where you can actually read people who were in the last days of the apocalypse waiting in the basement to be told they could leave and then being sealed in there and watching all the people in their group just diminish and die and you're reading this log from this one guy who's trying to figure out how to get out and he can't and it's just a it's a horrifying sad log but it was fun to write as an as an aside to the book um, well you it's a, have it's a delve but you have uh, uh, on more than one occasion brought the brought the inexorable doom to the guys in the high tech facility or the sealed bunker or the we're all safe in here and the apocalypse missed us and oops uh we can't get out it always reminds me of the um the civil defense officials who all die horribly in threads where they're they're in the underground command center that is buried by most of downtown having been flattened right. and you know they're on the radio and they're on the phone and talking to but at some point the rescue crews dig that section out and they've all died in the command center yeah you know, um having been protected and lucky because they got to be in a shelter you know right yeah there's nothing there's nothing i don't write anything regardless of the genre i don't write anything that ends well ever i always have either a twist or a disappointment at the end because i feel like that's sort of the reality of it right so especially in post-apocalyptic it's like yep we just we just you know we just found this treasure trove nope it's empty <laughs> or oh we found this place but now we can't get out how do we get out so it's i like doing that because it's it just adds more we found the actual treasure and now it's the battle of the five armies because yeah, everybody right who didn't do the hard work of actually taking the facility is, is going to do the easy work of killing a bunch of player characters. Oh right. yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause there was this one, uh, one campaign that I was in. Well, it wasn't the last time I played Gamerol, but it was one of the, it was the last uh, run of run of games we played with this one character that I had. Um, the group had gotten into a, um, into an installation we we had got an active cybernetic installation, so we were in this place, and we got cordoned off. Uh, I don't remember we got captured. I don't remember how. I, I, it's it's like you know forty years ago almost. But I was like, um, we got trapped in this place and we couldn't get out. Like the section, we couldn't figure out how to get out. Like we were trapped in these big doors. I mean, we tried everything from like the big hydraulic doors. We were able to like you know. Uh, you know, get into them and drain the hydraulics to open the doors, and you know, but then we we're just like stuck in another area. It's like we just couldn't, and we never wound up playing that for whatever reason. We never planned to play in that game again. So basically, that those characters just died in that facility. Apparently, you know, they're, st they're still there. Right, they're bones. No. That's I mean, that's realistic. It's like you're not you know, you can't always get out of something that you get into. The, oh yeah, uh, we. The thing you you said something earlier about cannibal bandits, and I want to take a a slight detour on that because um, 
I am been trying to find a passage in one of my old editions of Gamma World. I could have sworn it's not first edition, it's either second or third or whatever, uh, where there was something in Gamma World discussing, uh, gee, we seem to have a whole ton of, um, you know, uplifted uh, animal races and things. And the list of, you know, what counts as, you know, there's a lot more sentience on the planet than there were previously. So uh, the, 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 the section of the book was talking about apparently no, the, the general idea was that people aren't as squidgy about eating another sentient as long as they aren't, you know, your sentience that, you know, right. the, the batters will eat the humans, even though they can both speak whatever, you know, English leftover is in, in or Patois or Pigeon English is currently in, a, in America where mutants will eat pure strains or, you know, uh, uh, humans will eat uh, Orleans because, you know, what the hell, they, they're not us, so they got two heads, they can't be us. And I'm, I don't know if either one of you guys remember reading that no. in, in a section about survival or travel or, I don't does know not, if it was a, Does that not ring a bell at all? all? Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. See, you, this is this is clearly an article I need to write on uh, for uh, your next gamma sure. series. Who 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 eats who in Gamma World? Hot cuisine in <laughs> America. Well, and, um, I think I think the title "Who Eats Who" is probably just enough to to really get people to go. What is this? <laughs> well, you know, uh, well, what what was what was the uh, gamma? What was the short story in uh, Dragon Magazine? Scott, you and I have talked about that. Uh, uh, everybody eats everybody on Sunday's planet. Is that what yes, that was? Yes. Yeah. Yes, there was a a science fiction uh, story that was uh, set on another an alien world or something. Everybody eats everybody on Sunday's planet. The other uh, thing is, it reminds me of you know, uh, you know, mutant world. It just sort of it reminds me of the whole Richard Corbin mutant world where oh yeah, just about the every story. Was well, every story in Mutant World was the variant on the coyote chasing the Roadrunner, you right. know, trying to eat him, you know, and then ending up very badly in, in various horrendous ways where yeah. the food eats, you know, the, the the classic bit from Mutant World where the the egg they capture turns out to be some sort of monster that hatches and eats them rather than them having an omelet, you know, which <laughs> of course. Yeah. If you're going to grim up your gamma world, that would be certainly one way to do it. Sure. Now, Scott, now Scott you were mentioning, uh, you mentioned your gamma world uh, group posts about the short uh, scenarios. Oh, yeah. So were, you, were you thinking about uh, submitting the Android scenario that I inspired you for to Tom? Yes, you did. <laughs> I, was, I was wrestling around with that, and uh, it was your suggestion of androids make everything better, I think was your suggestion. Um, so you need Androids in the scenario. Yeah, it's a thing I posted as a PDF file to um, the Facebook Gamma World page. Uh, the enemy of my enemy's enemy, where you can get into a, the player characters can get into a firefight between two groups and help one side out of the other. And there's two different endings depending on which side you help. And uh, depending on which side you help, you could get a, a another mission out of it where, you know, it's... Uh, Friends of Entropy fighting some created. If you if you help the created, mistaking them for humans or something, uh, they will eventually, uh, you know, if you, they will be like, well, we want your help rescuing the husk of a 
Android, Thinker Android, out of a uh, out of an archivist temple. They've got a deactivated Thinker Android, and we lost our Thinker, and our Thinker has our mission parameters on it. We don't know it because it's secret, but we've got its CPU. But it's too big to put in a warrior, and it's too big to put in a um, uh, a worker. So we need an actual Thinker Android to figure out what our mission was, or where our mission is scrubbed. So. Since the archivists have enhanced scent uh, abilities and can smell an android sneaking into their village, we want you to go in and get our thinker out. And here you can take our, our maintenance robot with you as an offering for their temple. You know, we'll show you how to turn it on and turn it off so you can turn the maintenance robot on and it will grab the uh, thinker that's allegedly in this temple and escape with it. And we'll give you some extra weapons so you can loot the temple and things like that. Uh, of course, you know, I'm not, I, I, I can't remember if I included it or not, but my, one of my thoughts was once the players actually return a thinker android to the created and they put the new CPU in and tell the thinker, hey, listen, you were out for a while, you know, you, um, uh, you were damaged and now we've got you in a new body and we, we, uh, we got some uh, other mutants and humans uh, to help us get you this body, the first thing the thinker says is, well, they're a security risk. You have to go immediately eliminate them. <laughs> so there's just no way anyone's going to be your friend in this scenario. It's just, it's just one group screwing you over and screwing you over and, you know, using you for their ends. And then, oh, wait, um, even after you've worked a deal and held up your end of the bargain, there's always one last betrayal. You know. you know, that's right up my alley. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, I gave Scott the seed, but he he totally did the whole thing because he was like, he was like, it's like I'm I'm looking for an idea, and then I was like, well, what about you know when I because uh, for some reason I had androids on the brain, you know, androids on the brain, and you know, what about a scenario where you know androids are trying to you know get another, you know, I gave him like the just the base seed, and he's like, oh, that's great, and then he just ran it with was it. Just you know, the thing about. Uh... Androids that are mistaken for humans, and I, I just love the idea of of the uh, damaged androids who cannot repair their damaged parts, you know, damaged skin or whatever, uh, wrapping that that injury up or that uh, damage up with bandages, like it's a real wound to cover mm -hmm. it up. You know what I mean? And then right. you, the eye patch comes off, and it's a big metallic socket or you know whatever. Uh, but androids trying to pass as humans is sort of the the thing that you you came in with, and I just uh, ran with it from there. And I don't know why that that particularly worked for me. I'm never quite sure what to do with. Uh, uh, I like androids in in uh, Gamma World, but I'm always a little. I'm not quite sure how to define them. Are they going to be, you know, filled with milk like uh, Bishop and Ash from the Aliens movies? Or are they going to be just, you know, made out of uh, uh, rubber like Yul Brenner from uh, Westworld uh, <laughs> with just metal inside, you know? Or are they going to be closer to Arnold in the Terminator films where there's a bunch of meat, you know, on top of a metal frame? Which, which kind of android am I going to go with? Or am I going to go with the Fallout 4 synths where they are... They're indistinguishable from meat, but they're absolutely artificially created. Something more like Roy Batty. You know, is Roy Batty an android? I mean, no. no. He's not mechanical. 
He's absolutely, you know, made out of meat, but, you know, and is indistinguishable for a human, but he's just enhanced, right? So mm-hmm. trying to trying to layer, I guess what that means is you just got a lot of options for your androids, you know. Yeah. Uh, you can go with, oh, well, the the ones that are filled with uh, skim milk, like uh, like Lance Henriksen and Ian Holm, those, those ones are like an early model or something. Or maybe the Yule Brenner is the early model. Like you never find those except in third hole third world shitholes like, you know, Ecuador with its androids, you know. Right. <laughs> Are they like the Blade Runner kind, you know? Yeah. So but uh do I do like me some androids. I guess my uh, yeah, particularly when they can't fix themselves. That's always super creepy that they're you know they can wander around with their arm uh tagged off yet uh still be perfectly functional you know as long Mm -hmm. as they wrap it up bandage maybe they pass as human um but anyways yes uh so i uh, thank you jared that it it took uh just a few minutes with you to get that fixed i yeah I, i i often get stuck on stuff like that and you know have to uh have to have some somebody frank fry did it for me the last time i was writing some stuff for twilight 2000 and i was stalled so i just gave frank a call and he had all the damn answers so (laughs) sometimes you just got to bounce something off somebody and you're good i I always uh just just uh just a touch brief with the androids my my gamma world vision of them was always that they were still mechanical but they were just kind of in the shape of a human you Mm. know they, you know, they had metal skin because, well, if you look at like the Mind Masters, they had this mesh, like chainmail uh, type skin to make them look more human because they were just pure metal. Like I see them with a the metal outside, just being like a like a metal shell with mechanics in them. You know, oh, the, no, no, like- no, no living organic liquid. You know, the only liquid may be like hydraulics or something. You know, that that's always my vision of them. Yes, just but pure, pure design- mechanical. But still designed to look human, mechanical, yeah. but designed to look human. You know, well, yeah. that that that's uh, uh, that's still kind of what was going on with Bishop and Ash from Aliens. They just Ridley Scott decided to freak us out by instead of having wires and diodes like Yul Brenner to have all this fucking gross shit fly out all over the place <laughs> when they start beating Ian Holm to death with a fire extinguisher. <laughs> Yeah, bladders and tubes and liquids and but they're not as mechanical my i'm more mechanical like they don't have flesh steel you know they're just they are they're basically a a robot you know but they're you know they they look like humans you know kind of like you know they're kind of a i don't know mr roboto looking you know they're 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 obviously a robot less human than that like uh like the the androids from the uh was it the second edition uh gamma world where they don't have faces which always Oh, I love those. I love that interpretation. Really? Yeah. That always freaked me out. I mean, I, I I get part of it because we've learned that the uncanny valley makes humans want to smash shit. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Humans, when they try and make the, you know, I don't know, the, the, the weird robot head or the sex doll or whatever, whenever they're trying to make it look more human, all it does is make me want to set it on fire. If it just had, you know, like a speaker instead of a mouth that moved, just a speaker and camera eyes, it'd be like, okay, it's an appliance and I'm fine. But when it's got like, you know, it's got irises and it's got, a you know, uh, 
you know, human-like features and it moves its mouth to talk or does one of those horrible smiles that they make them do everyone's all, look, this is my disarming robot smile. And I'm just like, no, no, no. It looks like it's it's baring its teeth for an attack. I... <laughs> so you, you want it to look like, uh, remember, remember in the 70s when you had the uh, $6 million man action figures out? He oh, had yeah. an... an he had an enemy. I don't remember his name, but he was an android, and like his face, the 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 action figure, his face came off, and he just had like you know the two eyes and stuff. You like him? You you want him to look like? Here's the speaker where his mouth is. Here's the red eyes. No no face. No no no. Well, you know I you know yes actually it would be again uh, the thing that I am most afraid of in the world are clowns. And it's because clowns don't quite look human. You know what I mean? There's this thing mm-hmm. where they are in the uncanny valley where they've done things with makeup to change the shape of their heads and change the shape of their faces. So they freak me the fuck out because they're just not quite right. Uh, same thing with and- androids, you know, these early robot prostheses and things that they show it at electronic shows that are supposed to be showing us how well we're doing and advancing the technology. They're just creepy as hell to me. They're just <laughs> super creepy. I would, uh, something that just looked like, uh, one of those, uh, one of those silver girls you'd find on the front of heavy metal magazine would be less disconcerting, you know, you can like, pick them out. You know what it is? Yes. Yes. You, the bingo, <laughs> bingo, Tom, you know, if they look like us, they're just going to sneak up on us. That's, that's what they're going to do. Now, I, I thought of while we were talking is because we talked about first edition Game World, how many modules were out because there was uh, officially, well, quote unquote, officially, you know, you had GW1, which was Legion of Gold. You have Famine, Gar- Famine and Fargo, which is GW2. And then you had the uh, the mini adventure in the, in, the, in the referee screen. Now, the other mini adventure, which I still consider a published adventure because it was in dragon 52, which came out, uh, God, well, that was somewhere what 80, 81, the cavern of the subtrain. You yeah. can't forget about the cavern of the subtrain. That was a published mini adventure. It was a kind of a, I guess, kind of a intro scenario coming of age thing like famine and Fargo, which probably came out around the same time. But, uh, I always loved reading, uh, the, I remember reading the, uh, you know, uh, the cavern of the subtrain. I was like, Oh, this is great. You know, because well, uh, no, it, it was another adventure to read. It was a mini adventure. So if it's a, if it was in Dragon back then, to me, that's a that's an official adventure, you know. All right. Well, that means at this point, they're they're tied with Tom. TSR with first <laughs> is tied Four. with Tom. Yeah. Uh, but we'll fix that. We'll we'll write. He'll write more. Oh, yeah. I plan on it. Right. 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 Want all you want, because Tom will write more. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, again, Game World always will have that place in my heart because it was the, it was, even though it was the second role-playing game I ever played, it was the first I ever purchased because I was given the box set uh, from a friend of, for D&D. So for me, it's super special because I still have that actual box set. So It, it was the first game that said you don't have to be in a 10 by 10 hallway was yeah. you know sort of the despite the fact that we crawled along around a lot of installations it uh, again sure. was the first uh game that uh, sort of introduced me to the oh introduced me to the uh to the dungeon crawl oh, no sorry the, the hex crawl to the, yeah. the getting out in the wilderness yeah. and travel 
from yeah yeah before we, we before we got into the expert series where it tried to introduce wilderness stuff you're right gamma world was doing it first and then we were we were crawling over broken buildings and through jungles of streets and such love just loved it yeah i don't remember i still have my original gamma world box um i don't have a lot of my other stuff like my my first role-playing game that i, I got was for Christmas of '82, I got uh, the basic set, the uh, the Moldave um, Moldavia one. So um, that was my first. And then all around the same time, you know, because that was middle of seventh grade for me. So, but coming into eighth grade, uh, into ninth, I got a bunch of other. Uh, like I, I don't remember the order. It was probably Gamma World, but then because I had gotten Gamma World, Boot Hill. Top Secret, I'd gotten them all around the same time, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't know which one Gamworld was. It was it was either second or fourth, you know, but I think it was, uh, I think it was probably the second, because I because I remember Boot Hill, I remember playing with that one a little bit, um, you know, that had the two dice, the white and the pink, you know, the old, the old original, yep. the, yep. Uh, the, uh, the seven, uh, two, three, five symmetric, you know, dice, you know, oh, you know, like, you know, the those right. ones, you know, right there. People can't see that, but yeah, that's another thing I've been obsessing about lately. Okay, this is this is how bad I am. Um, there's a guy on Etsy who does uh, replica OSR dice. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I can't remember his shop uh, at this time, but uh, I've gotten a, I've gotten a set from him because he makes good ones. He makes you know he he makes the replicas of the original sets. And oh yeah. Um, his qualities, his, his, I think his quality is really good. Um, he does a good job. So, uh, but he colors them all the same size, you know, now after watching, uh, some re- watching and reading some stuff from playing at the world, uh, you know, that, uh, I forget the gentleman's name, John Peterson, John Peterson. He, he is the gaming historian. He really has researched and knows his stuff, man. He's he really good. He's really good. So we had a thing on, se- uh, on seventies dice. And he talked about the, the different dice and how you distinguish them, you know. And the original dice were a symmetric seven two three five pattern. So whereas there's a two three and a five around the seven, and different dice had different patterns around the seven. But for some reason, the seven was the distinguisher for uh, whatever reason. So he had mentioned that when TSR first started making their own dice in the like probably around eighty eighty one that. Uh, because you know they, you know they were having trouble getting the dice. Those original, so they started making the the, the smaller plastic ones with the solid color that mm-hmm. was um, came with the crayon. Now they, when they first switched over, they kept the same pattern, the seven two three five pattern. So I looked through. I don't have any of my original 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 old dice. So the oldest ones I have don't have the seven two three five pattern. You know because they were probably more mid eighties dice. So, um, so I didn't have any dice to reference it because basically I would have been able to match up exactly like, okay, here's that, that should be the 10. And then I could have followed around and colored the, the teens and the lower numbers properly from an original die, but I didn't have that. So I had a dice ladder pattern. He had pictures of those dice on there from different angles. And I did some more research on pictures from different angles and I was able to construct the dice ladder from the pictures and the actual physical die in my hand. Like, okay, well, that's showing this. Okay, so I'm going to put this here, and I color it in. So I had a deconstruction figured all by myself because I didn't have an original 723, uh, 235 pattern. So I, I did it from pictures, 
and they just uh, coordinated it, wrote it down, and figured it out from the different angles. And if you could have only have applied yourself like this, you know, at something that involved making money, you'd be a billionaire by now. I mean, yeah. God yeah. damn, <laughs> sir. Yeah. So, sometimes Wait, when you get on a path, man, you can't get off that path. Uh, yeah, oh, could yeah. you, if you had applied this kind of level of detail and work to, I don't know, counterfeiting, for instance, how about <laughs> counterfeiting U.S. currency? How about that for a plan? No, Good it's God. it's one of those, you know, if I would have applied myself like that in school, you know, I probably would have graduated top of my class and went to college and probably have a doctorate by now. But you know what? I just, you know, the thing, uh, there's a quote from Calvin and Hobbes, something about, you know, the only, the only skill sets I have are things that are completely useless or something like that, you know? <laughs> which all, is, which of us have, all of us have had a touch of that now and again. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, that, that is me. But, um, yeah, so I wasted a lot of time trying to figure out that dice ladder pattern. And it's like, oh, if I only would have just had an original die, and I know you probably got some in your collection, Tom. Probably should have reached out to you. Oh my gosh, I um, I'm a, as you know, I'm a, a monster collector. I've got uh, like for TSR, I have everything they've made except for one book up to year two thousand. Um, that darn book, I'll probably never have up the Garden Pass, but uh, name it. Name it. <laughs> What's the up book? the garden pass? Up the SD garden one. path. I know that book. I mean, I know the title. Yeah, it's a obscure one from the UK. Pretty much a garbage product. Sixteen pages, not worth the money it's printed on, but they go for like eight to ten grand. So there you go. <laughs> what the? Yeah, I mean, I do have some gems in my collection, and um, and I do have a pretty vast um old dice collection as well. So I do have a lot of the dice you're talking about, Jared, and um, I don't have as many good dice is let's say matt roberts or some, some of these other guys but um i do have some really cool old dice um armory dice and game science dice and a lot of really cool things um, oh, oh it, here's a, add the level to insanity so besides writing out the dice ladder on p- paper i wrote it out and then i had to cut it out and i had to tape a couple sides just so i could keep the shape so i can match it up with my physical <sighs> die to make sure i was getting there. the sides right this is how insane I am. Yeah, well, that sometimes, like I said, sometimes when you're on a on a mission to figure something out, you'll, you'll do whatever it takes to get it done. And I, believe me, I know that. I know that <laughs> level of level of fanaticism. Dag, so. dag nabbit, sir. That is that is unhealthy. Oh, it's, it's completely <laughs> unhealthy. But I had a great that time. And I was so I was so proud yeah. of myself, and I showed and I showed my wife, and I'm like, I go, listen, I know you're not gonna give a crap about this, but I'm telling you what I did anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that that's what makes a successful marriage. Sometimes you have to listen to your partner tell you about some shit that they did that you don't understand nor care about, but you still listen. That's, that is how you stay undivorced. It's one of those that's, things. That's exactly correct. Yeah. All right. So uh, we're, we're going to wrap up here because we, we, we try to keep it to an hour now. So yeah, um, because, because some podcasts, like I said, I like listening like to Eric, but they go two hours. I can't listen to the, it's like, I think an hour is too long, but, um, I, I have trouble with two hours, man. It's, it's way too long. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And we, and sure. we have some old ones that are that long and I cringe like, oh my God, it's like, I can't listen to the whole damn thing and I can't even listen to it cause it's too long. So, all right. Yeah. So, um, for those of you, uh, who would like to look at, uh, Tom's game world stuff, it's all available in our drive through RPG. And the company, like we said, is uh, Throwy Games, and that's it's just like you would think. It's Throw I, if you spell it out, Throw I Games. So T H R O W I G A M E S. So if you look that up on Drive Through RPG, you could find his store, 
And besides all his other stuff is on there, his Gamworld stuff's in there. He has all of it available in PDF. He has the uh, the three Gamma Zines, the three uh, Gamworld Adventures, and then the other post-apocalypse. It's all available there. Uh, does not have print-on-demand anymore on that stuff, correct? Or you do? So, mo- I think actually most of it does have print-on-demand because they drive through did um, auto-convert the saddle stitch to Perfect Bound. You know, Perfect Bound's not my favorite, but it's there. I think everything has it. Okay. So that's where you can find his stuff. And then in the future, as he gets uh, his stuff out there, like when he writes, so when you, uh, so when you do the next uh, Gamazine, are you going to do a Kickstarter for it? Or are you just going to produce it on, uh, just put up on drive-thru? Uh, I haven't decided yet. I probably will do Kickstarter only because I've, you know, I've got a lot of followers on Kickstarter. So that's usually how people are waiting to hear about my next thing. If I put it on drive-thru, it'd probably just be a little, a little slow rollout. So I'll probably just go, kickstarter again and then um then obviously post it the drive through after it's done okay and then of course you know i'll post that so people will be able to see it you know when the kickstarter's up like uh, all the other ones and then uh when you do the when you have the adventure coming out this summer is that going to be a kickstarter or are you just going to be putting it up on the store that one i haven't decided yet it's probably likely again to be a kickstarter because i have so many people who follow <sighs> me in that channel so i probably will do that but um you know gamma world's a funny 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 beast. So we'll see where where it ends up, but it'll be it'll be available at drive through at the end of the day as well. So, all right, cool. Yeah, because I I gotta go back to some of your stuff. Like I don't have all your uh, back to basics, so I was I was debating whether because I know you had a bundle up there for all your back to basics. I don't know mm-hmm. if you still have that in effect. Um, yeah, the bundle will stay up there for those. Also, just if it if it if it interests you, um, I just began. Uh, some work on the hardcover compilation of the first 10 issues. Mm, I may wait. I may wait for that. It's got a new cover from Matt Ray as well. So it's beautiful. So nice. Nice. Yeah. I may wait for that to get the compilation. Cause I have one of the first one. I'm like, you know what? I want to get that too, because again, I'm getting all this BX stuff and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I, <laughs> I like uh, looking at it. So, all right. So uh, folks, that's uh, Tom Wilson again. And, you know, his going back to the apocalypse with Tom here about all his Gamworld uh, adventures and uh, zines. So, again, he is the he's the only dude putting stuff out now because Wizards of the Coast or Hasbro hasn't done anything for Gamworld since 2010 when they put out that. Seventh edition Gamworlds, which uh, we don't like to talk about because, you know, (laughs) I know some people love it and they think it's a fun game and this and that. And you know what? That's that's fine. That's we live in a world where you're allowed to like and dislike things. So, um, it's a, no matter what Jared says, no matter what Jared says, <laughs> even though Jared thinks it's a steaming pile, and um, and yes, folks, I did read the rules. I can't tell you anything about it now because it's been ten years, but uh, did not like it. But uh, they haven't done anything since then. And, and the thing is, they're not. I don't honestly I don't think they're ever going to do anything with Game World again. You know, um, I know. Part of the things I've heard from people that I know who know people that, because uh, I know James Ward multiple times tried to get back that license from uh, from Watsy and then Hasbro because uh, he got his Metamorphosis back, but he, he tried to get Gamworld back, and no matter no matter what, they just flat out said no, you know. But they still that they haven't done anything with like they'll do like something small, not support it, and then it dies because they think that they're going to get Hollywood money. Gam world like they think that's going to be an option as a movie and they're going to make tons of money off it you no, know there's another D movie happening so it's only a matter of, matter time. of time yeah well because they because <laughs> because 
because also with the rise of popularity of comic book movies and comic book, uh, you know, properties that they think that, oh, no, that's it. You know, games are going to uh, we'll make movies and we'll buy the the IP. And remember, we'll make- remember, Jared, there really was Battleship the movie. So part of me has to say nothing is outside the realm of possibilities if you made goddamn Battleship the movie. You know, <laughs> yeah, but you know, remember they also made the uh, the, uh, the sci-fi made Deathlands also, but they, uh, yeah. I mean, the, it wasn't any they, good. But when it comes when it comes to games that are made into movies, they're let's be honest, they're not all going to be Clue, okay? Uh, they're just not. Uh, well, that, but you know what? That those that, those were good movies. But, yeah, uh, the Clue, clue, the clue was, was good. Clue was good. I enjoyed that movie. I enjoyed the endings, but. But yeah, so they're never going to do anything with this with this franchise property, and they won't get. The thing is, they won't give it up either because they would rather have it do nothing than let somebody maybe make a couple bucks on it. You know, because they're never going to make anything with it. They're never going to make any money. If, if anything, I think they probably lost uh, tens of thousands of dollars, if not more, on Gamma World Seventh Edition because. I see so many people. There's so much of it out there. People just trying to get rid of it. People can't mm-hmm. sell it because people don't want it. You know, it, it didn't. It didn't sell. There's a surplus. Well, so they, they didn't they, want it because it wasn't Gamma World. Every it, time a new edition comes out, they take one step further away from first, second edition. Yeah, that and essence. The further it gets away, I mean, all the all the people who are making you know homages and things like that, they're not going. What we really need is a homage to sixth edition or <laughs> fifth edition everybody goes back to the original old simple the original rules because that's what people fell in love with back in the day right like yeah. i thought like you know what seventh edition if they hadn't slapped the gamma world name on it and just called it something else it might have worked you know, but they 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 anchored it to the gamma world name and it didn't work you know they could have made it a generic sci-fi you know tactical miniatures board game which is basically what it was you know and it, it might have worked better for them but since they tied it to the gamma world franchise i think that didn't help it like it didn't help elevate it to what they wanted it to but yeah. um but anyway that's neither here nor there so so anyway so they're not doing anything with gam world tom's doing lots of good stuff for gam world for the good edition as we like to say here the first edition. I'm even mm-hmm. partial to. I'm a first, second edition kind of guy, you know, because I got second edition when it came out. You know, they're pretty interchangeable. I mean, they they, they tweaked a couple things, but I still think it works very well. So, but Tom, but Tom's putting Gamma World stuff out. So, if you're a post-apocalyptic role-playing fan and you like Gamma World, Tom's your man to get stuff. So, yes, uh, so that's it, folks. Uh, again, you could go again. Go to Drive Through RPG. You know, find Tom there. Um, throw. Throw E. I always get it wrong. Throw E. Throw E or throw I. Throw E games. Throw, throw E. E. Yeah. I. I pronounce like an E. Throw E games. Throw. Spell it out. Throw I games. Throw yep. E games. You can find them there. Uh, what are we gonna do next, folks? I don't know. Uh, you know, I think I have actually we have enough material to do a uh, do a, do another off topic because there's all kinds of stuff that we want to talk about in more detail. We got that army of the dead movie coming out. We could talk about that some more, you know, um, you know, another heist movie with zombies, but I saw a trailer, you know, uh, one of the trailers of it. It's like, Ooh, they're smart. The zombies are learning. That's bad news, man. That's going to be bad for them. <laughs> so, yeah. 
Well, um, I am interested to see that for just the fact that they sucked an actor out of the movie, which is really interesting to me. The idea that um, that uh, they CGI'd uh, the, the stand-up comic Tig, Tig Notaro in to replace another character who blew himself up with a bunch of really gross uh, sex harassment, sex battery uh, charges that you know sort of blew him up and made him box off as poison after the movie was in the can. Mm. And they went back in and completely like what they did with Kevin Spacey and uh, Plummer in whichever movie that was. I uh, can't remember the name of it, but they they ejected Kevin Spacey and brought in um, Christopher Plummer and reshot everything and re you know integrated him into the film digitally, which is kind of shocking. That you know, uh, you apparently you should get, just because the can, the film's in the bag. Do not do not think that you have to go off your best behavior, or Hollywood will absolutely throw you out the window. Which you know, I'm actually thrilled to see Tick Taro in it. She looks fantastic uh, in that film. Uh, it looks it, the, it looked really good in the credits. Anyway, so. <sighs> So I don't, I don't want you rambling on for another 30 minutes, Scott. So that's impossible. Uh, when has that ever happened before? You just always all the time. in here and judge me with all my rambling. And what have I ever dominated the mic and wouldn't let anyone talk? I mean, that's just ridiculous. This You're, is the part where you should just cut the feed. Just, just not just, even say goodbye. Just, 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 the... mute, just mute him. <laughs> like I, I, I did a, uh, a class once for work on uh, communication and I forget the exact classification of it, but you kind of fall under the conversation bully category, yes. Scott. So, yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, I am. I you am are. So, so anyway, so folks, uh, so we got that. You know, we said I got we got a couple of uh, loose ideas lined up for some different stuff. So just you know, keep watch. Uh, we'll I'll be posting stuff uh, as it comes out. And uh, again, Tom. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for talking Gam World. Thanks for talking about your Gam World stuff. We we always appreciate that. And, yeah, thanks uh, for having me, guys. And probably, hey, when you when you launch these Kickstarters, uh, you know, we'll probably have you come on just to talk about them a little bit, just to help you know help drive a little traffic to you too. Because again, That'd be great. You, you'll know more about them at the time, so we could talk, you know, have a fresh conversation about those individual items, and then people could know more about it, so know what they're getting into. So, uh, again, sure. thank thanks for your time. And uh, oh, oh, we forgot to talk, you know, we forgot to talk about it, but I'm stopping. No. Um, the 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 box that you're coming out with uh, it's yeah we'll a, talk about it next time yeah we'll it's talk about got, it next time we got because we got a couple of months so it's no it's plenty of time okay cool yeah because Tom's coming out with a post apocalyptic but it's like a post apocalyptic fantasy I guess more in the more in the realm of more like a Elric kind of thing like magic back the world's been destroyed there's magic but it's post apocalyptic so we'll talk more about that I totally forgot about that so yeah that's but right. again th- but thanks we appreciate your time. Uh, I am the Apocalypse Nerd. He is Adam Bomb Glancy. He is Tom Wilson. Thank you and good night. This episode of Podcast at Ground Zero has been brought to you by Hobo Soup. Hobo Soup, when you have to make do with what you got. Now available in Apocalypse size. Keep up to date with us by visiting podcastatgroundzero.com and subscribe to the blog via email.